is the man I got so much love for, David Christopher. He was like really my first, um, uh, the first guy I got to really know at Dominance when I took Macker over there. We didn't have a kids class at Absolute and he really got Macker on the right track. Macker was super inspired to do jiu-jitsu as a result of DC's influence. Man, I love you lots. Welcome to today. Thank you. Thank you again. Super honored, man. I really appreciate it. Maka was awesome. He was pretty, uh, as I remember, it was a long time ago. I was like, what? How old is he now? He's 15. So, yeah, oh. he what was be. he when he started? Like six, seven? Well, he, he went to the world at eight and that was, you know, so then he must have been six or something when he started, really seven, something like that. Yeah, it's so almost 10 years ago, huh? Yeah, yeah crazy. Yeah, he, I, re I remember him and I just remember him being super enthusiastic right from the get-go. Yeah, man. No. Yeah. But that take like, it's easy to shatter that in a kid. Like I've seen a million kids come and go, you know, it doesn't take much for a kid to go, no, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. And then the parents give in and then, and yeah. then all of a sudden they're doing a different sport, you know? <laughs> so. That's a, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing issue I have constantly with parents when they, I mean, I've probably taught hundreds of kids now. Um, yeah. And I'll get parents that are just like, drop their kids off. It doesn't matter. They're going to train. Like they just yeah. have that attitude. And I've got parents that are like, look, he doesn't want to come. He's always fighting me every single time. Um, and, and I wonder often how that crossover is with other things in their lives. Like, cause with kids, man, they resist everything from brushing yeah. their teeth, going to bed, <laughs> eating vegetables. You know what I mean? Like That's they right. don't know what's good for them That's most of the time. You know? Oh my God. So yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that is just letting them, you know, you just commit them to the process and you show them. And then afterwards they see the benefit, you know, yeah, I think you're right, brother. I think yeah. right now the, our format is usually I go then Kim goes because otherwise yeah. we each other's toes. So I'm going to stand aside. Yeah. Or there's just big gaps of silence where we're both just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah but um so tell us a, a bit more about that so how do you handle that then when a kid is kind of i guess resisting and not wanting to engage or just talk about generally how you coach kids because personally for me i, I think that would be the most difficult of all uh categories to to coach like it's just yeah. chaos i mean jiu-jitsu itself is crazy so how do you one like manage someone that's possibly not wanting to be there and then two how do you contain like their energy how do you yeah that it, it is a challenge and and having built it from scratch um in a few different ways like I started a dominance I was lucky enough to have Dave Hart offer me the position of teaching the kids at dominance at first and we had a relatively small class he started teaching it at the beginning but he wanted somebody to kind of fill that because he was really busy um so he gave me the opportunity to kind of run that class and from very small to very big, it's a very bit different dynamic. When it's very small, it's easier to connect to the kids. Um, you just kind of get down on their level a little bit. You play some games, you, you get them excited about it. And they don't even know they're doing jujitsu most of the time, but it's part of the process. Um, you kind of trick them into doing jujitsu with games. And then you get them wrestling and they're having fun in no time. But as the class grows, you have to start incorporating structures. And I have to be like, and it's difficult because at first there it's pretty, you know, loose. You're kind of just going on each kid and what they need and what they want to work on. But as it grows, you have to start thinking about what, what am I going to teach and show and how am I going to get everybody on the same page without this kid distracting that kid and causing the whole class to unravel. And that takes weeks. It takes weeks to establish a culture where everybody kind of knows what the procedure is and they all kind of start to fall in line there. And then you have small levels of disciplinary action for kids that are distracting the other kids. And enforcing that at the start takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy um, to make sure that they fall in line, but without the structure in place, the whole class falls apart. 
Mm. So I started with, you know, uh, if kids fell out of line, they do something simple like push-ups. Um, and that, and that kind of, we, the whole class would do push-ups and that kind of started, but, but it wasn't super effective trying to get the kids to just all do push-ups all the time. So we started, um, just making the system the same every single time. And then we'd have, I got more and more assistant instructors that would come in and help. And as the kids fell out of line, an assistant instructor or myself would take the kid aside and have a talk with him and just kind of get, get down on the kid's level, ask him, you know, why he's here, see if he's interested, try and inspire him a little bit and then get him to integrate back in the class with a little bit more enthusiasm, right? Only very rarely did we ever have kids that were so uh, despondent that we'd have to be like, look, kid's not ready yet. He's too young. He's not really interested in jujitsu and that's fine. Maybe bring him back, you know, six months down the line or something and see if he's interested in doing it again. I mean, I don't think you can't, again, like you'll get kids like Maka that come in and they just kind of want to do it. They have fun, they're inspired, they, they enjoy the process and they're really into it. And then you get kids sometimes that are just either too young, uninterested, and, and that can either, in a large group setting, that can really pull the entire attention span away. Mm-hmm. And then you're spending a lot of energy on trying to get that kid inspired and, and everybody else is missing out. Wow. So I, I found that having a structured setting where we had set procedures. So everybody knew what their, what the role was and the culture, as soon as that's set in place, as soon as new kids come in, they just see what all the other kids were doing and they just fall in line, like almost like a herd mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it just became easier and easier to kind of teach the information. And then I have the extra instructors just to make sure that as kids are kind of like straggling out or getting a little bit loose on the wall, when we're trying to instruct, just pulling them in. So they just constantly had that reinforcement and then the positive reinforcement of if they behaved well and everybody did their job, then we play games at the end. And so they get kind of rewarded. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, it wasn't yeah. no punishment anymore. It's just the, the only punishment was no games at the end if, if the class unraveled too much. Yeah. And they started to figure that out. Yeah, and realign. Great right formula for running a kid's class. Oh my God. And like, I, I've seen you in action with that and, I've seen, and I'm guessing you kind of parent in a similar way. Yeah. Then you've gone off and you've opened up Academy, um, yeah. Academy Jiu-Jitsu, Camberwell. Um, and I guess, did you, having that background in ch- teaching the kids class, did any of that translate to an adult class as well and starting from the ground up? Because, I mean, obviously we're all kind of, we've brought some of our things from our childhood into our adult life. Is there, is there any, any correlations to kind of building a business, teaching adults and doing that sort of stuff? yeah absolutely i think um when you can overcomplicate things um and with the kids that was one of the things that you kind of learn pretty quick that you can't teach them overly complicated moves you can't be too specific you kind of want to give them the broad strokes and then let them be creative and then the younger the younger the group is the less specific you are about what you're trying to get them to do and the more you're just letting them discover jujitsu and discover what they can do and what their bodies can do and and you're not trying to like make them do like a beer and bolo or trying to make them do like a very specific guard pass but you give them some set goals and and you let them inspire themselves by what they kind of come up with and i find that with the adults i started using that a little bit too I, i could show specific stuff but if i tried to make the entire process from white all the way to black belts like you have to do these specific moves i'm kind of cookery cuttering everybody i'm trying to make everybody exactly the same mm. so instead like yeah white to blue you got to learn how to move you got to learn what jujitsu is you got to learn a few specific things but as that goes on 
you, you have to be able to discover your own jiu-jitsu a little bit. So it's not, it's less about knowing specific moves, but about how you apply the, the knowledge that you have with your own personality and your own needs. Right. Um, so that kind of helped me think about things a little bit more like that. Um, having spent so much time with children, um, seeing that that creative, the creative response for kids makes them fall in love with jujitsu. Mm. When you're just trying to force them to do this thing and make them do it and then trying to ride them on it, you just see the joy kind of in the boredom kick in and, and the joy go out of their eyes. They're just not having fun anymore. And you, you might be making them better. You might even make them great competitors, but they're not having fun in the process. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, my goal, my biggest goal, especially with young kids, and this transfers over to the adults too, is just to make people fall in love with jujitsu. Mm -hmm. If that happens, then you, you may get a great, yeah, you may get a great competitor. You may get, you know, those kids might develop into the next Mendez brothers or whatever, right? Because they just love being there. They love practicing. They love learning. Mm. Uh, I think that yeah. applies on and off the mat, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. 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 And so tell us about your, we always pretty much ask this of all our guests, um, your story of jiu-jitsu. Like, how did you discover it? You've, you've obviously been, how long have you been a black belt? You've been around for a while. So uh, you must have come through the ranks back when the UFC was just starting up. Or? Yeah, I yeah. think, um, so I've been, I've been a black belt for uh, seven years now, I think. Yeah. Um, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for over 18, like, like, I yeah. guess, officially doing jiu-jitsu for about 18 years. Yeah. Um, but I first got exposed to it again. Uh, like you said, when the UFC first came out, I, some kids would have some dodgy VHS tapes that they'd steal from their dad. And, and then we'd watch it, you know, in the basement, like, well, this is cool. And then um, my brother got into a martial art called Jeet Kune Do. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's like Bruce Lee's martial art uh, that he started. And he was going and training there pretty regularly. And I was probably maybe 14 or 15 at the time. Um, and I had done some martial arts as a kid. I did karate and taekwondo, um, but I never really fully got like into it. I did it for, you know, maybe a year or something and then kind of lost interest and moved on to skateboarding or something. Um, but when he got really into the Jeet Kune Do stuff and a Jeet Kune Do, uh, it's kind of the original MMA. So they would do everything from like Kali to, you know, shoot fighting to, um, to Thai boxing, to jujitsu, to everything. They did a little bit of everything and just try to take what was good from everything and apply it. And that was the first time my brother was like, you got to come down, you got to try it. And we went, I went down and I tried out a class there and we did a, uh, it was like a French style of kickboxing class and then followed by jujitsu. And so I, I, again, not really that into it i enjoyed the the striking component because a little bit more movement the ground stuff was very confusing to me at the time I, I i really wasn't too inspired by it and then later he even got me to go to a seminar and again i barely touched the surface of martial arts training and i got to go to a seminar with um dan Inasano. i don't know if you know who he is but he's like the grandfather of the jeet Kune Do. and with him was eric paulson so i know Eric Paulson was like famous for leg locks before leg locks were cool, you know? So I went to this seminar and uh, we were doing stick and knife fighting, which was like way over my head. The stuff that he was doing, the trapping and all that, I was like, this is, I, doesn't make any sense. And Justin tried to show me some stuff before my brother. And then um, when we went in, it still was all over my head. But then Eric Paulson did his half of the seminar on like leg locks and, and scissor leg takedowns and all this cool stuff. And that was like my first time where I was like, this is this is awesome. 
And that one really clicked for some reason. But again, I didn't, I didn't go back into martial arts for a long time. I, I delved into skateboarding for probably 10 years. I got into music for a long time, went to music school, uh, moved out to Australia. And then my brother moved out to follow. He started training at Dominance. It was, the, it was back when Dominance was on Swan Street. It was like, I think their first site, the first, the first one that they'd ever opened. Yeah, it was uh, up some stairs and all I had was like real dingy puzzle mats. And I just remember the, there was like no, there was like nowhere for the airflow to go. So the ceiling <laughs> sometimes accumulates so much sweat that it would turn yellow and just start dripping on you while you were rolling. That's it true. Dave Hart never turns on the fans. I've noticed that about Dominic. He, he, he has them, but will never turn them on no matter right. how hot. Dave Hart, I'm calling you out of this, bro. Yeah. And it was um it was cool. That was when I think at the time Dave was a purple belt and then Murray was there. Murray Ballenden, he was a purple belt. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Dave Christick was there. He was Christic, a brown yeah. belt. Yeah. Um, and every now and then John Simon would show up who was a black belt, he, was, he would come in from time to time. And John Will would show up, I think every other weekend and, and teach a little seminar on the weekends, which was really cool to kind of, I didn't know at the time how valuable that was, but now obviously it's pretty significant that we had that much time with him because he's a very busy dude. Um, and, that's, and that's when I really started to get addicted. It was the first time I'd, I was going to music school at the time. I wasn't thinking about martial arts or anything, but I was going with my brother and watching him and eventually Dave, Cam, Roe, who was also there as a purple belt at the time. Um, yeah, who's who? Yeah, yeah it, was a, it, was, it was the whole crew. It was crazy. Um, and they um, convinced me to get on, beat me up for a little while. And, and there was something that clicked at that point. Like, I, I wanted to, that confidence. I wanted to know. I felt like I just had no idea what to do. And these guys just schooled me, right? And I needed to figure out how to solve that. That, that was the first time that I was like, I need to figure this out. I want to figure out how... I can make sense of this the way these guys are. And from, from that point on, I was pretty hooked. I would go two to three times a week with my brother, as well as going, I was going to school at the time um, and amongst other things, working full-time and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and that lasted for about, I think, two, two years. Um, I got my blue belt from John Simon. I remember, I remember when I, I got my blue belt from John, I only had three stripes on my white belt. And I remember being kind of embarrassed because normally you're supposed to go through the whole process, right? You get your fourth stripe, then you get promoted. And it was, it was random. I didn't really do a, a official grading or anything like that. School, man. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. sure. Like, That's my old school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how I did it. Yeah, go on. Yeah, we just, we just, I was just there one day for training. And then at the end of the class, John calls me out and, and gives me my blue belt. And I was like, well, this is, was totally unexpected, kind of a shock. I felt really embarrassed because there was guys in line in front of me that were all their four stripers, right? But um, John was like, he just really appreciated how much time and effort I put in because I'd always stick around um, after the beginner's class and I would stick around and just watch the advanced class every single time because I wow. wanted to see what they're doing. And yeah. eventually they started having me in on the advanced class. They invited me to, to you know, either roll with me or do the moves on me and stuff. So I got to pick up a lot of stuff and I did that for a long period of time just by showing that I was interested. So that was kind of cool. But um, after, after the blue belt, I, my... There was some tragedy back at home. My my mom's um, husband committed suicide, and that was kind of like flooring for the for the family, obviously. Yeah. Um, and 
I had to make kind of a decision then whether or not I wanted to to stay here and just kind of work on my career in chefing um, and stay doing what I was doing or if I could go back and try and help out. And I made a really tough decision to kind of put everything on hold here and just go back and try and, and do what I can to kind of help out my mom um, going through a really, really tough time in her life, um, yeah. trying to cope with all that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that was pretty hard. And I went back and, and she was not having a good time. She was struggling. They were both um, struggling with alcoholism and drug addiction and stuff like that. So the house was pretty messy when I got back. And my little brother was there. He was probably about 13 or something at the time and just being completely had lost, had no idea what to do, was completely lost at school. So I did everything I could to try and help out around the house. I, got, I found a job at a, at a restaurant. Um, I couldn't train that much yet. I was looking for kind of places that were around, but there wasn't a whole lot available. Um, Where is that? Is that in America? Yeah, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio. And how far back was this? Was this sort of the early 2000s or? Yeah, this would have been probably around 2005, between 2005, 2007. Uh And there was a school that popped up. It was a George Grigel. I don't know if you guys remember him from the UFC. He had... Uh uh, Rich Franklin training with him and stuff like that. Wow. He was kind of big in the jiu-jitsu MMA scene back then. Yeah. yeah. So I found his school. And so while I was, I needed the sanity. It's something about jiu-jitsu that just kind of puts yeah. your head. And, and when okay. dealing with all of what I was dealing with at home and with Garrett, my brother, mm-hmm. and with my mother and stuff, I needed that what jiu-jitsu gave me, that kind yeah. of uh, rounding and that, that peace of mind. So I found George Grigel's school and I went and started training with him. Um, and he was a he was a titan at the time. It was like when he was at his peak of his his uh, fame. He had this massive, huge MMA studio. So I went from this dominance, like tiny little sweat box, <laughs> to this huge, giant MMA studio where all these famous, you know, MMA fighters were coming in. Now that UFC was in mainstream at this point, right? Um, so it was pretty intimidating. And I started training there under George. Um, and I I met a couple of really cool cool guys and they ended up kind of coming to the other gym later down the road and I did a lot of Muay Thai there too because why not it was there so I started learning how to do all the striking and and, and, uh, Muay Thai stuff as well and that only lasted for about uh I'd say about a year I trained there with them and then um my stepbrother who was also the son of the father who had you know committed suicide was having a really really tough time and hanging out with some really really shady people in columbus Mm. so being the idiot savior that i was or trying to be which i was so naive and so over my head when i went over there to try and help these people but i went to go hang out with him who was living in columbus at the time and there was a great school a fantastic school up there helson gracie academy which i still recommend they've got great videos on teaching kids They have a fantastic gym. It's been, it's been going for, for a very long time. And I found that gym while I was up there, again, trying to help my, my stepbrother try and get his life in order. Yeah. Um, and the training there was amazing, but it was very, very different. It was very self-defense, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu oriented. Mm. And it was, um, it was not what I was kind of used to because when we did Jiu-Jitsu at Dominance at first, it was a very... Uh, sports jiu-jitsu aspect at the start and then we did shoot boxing on the weekends which is more kind of self-defense oriented so it was very compartmentalized as something kind of different i guess mm. um and then this at this school they really kind of put it all together it was very all about uh street self-defense 
all the classes, especially for beginners, even to intermediate, we're always doing, you know, like headlock defenses and punch defenses from this position, that position. And Helson would come out um, pretty often. I got to meet him and, and do multiple seminars with Helson Gracie, where he was teaching all the same stuff. For them, it was always all about the, the fight, the real fight. Mm. And for me, it was important because it, it really stuck with me because I had been in a lot of actual fights, not, not, I'd done some competition, but I've also been living in Cincinnati. Um, I'd lived in LA when I was younger and I'd been in a lot of fights as a kid and I, and it was a lot of guesswork. You just start throwing, you know, you hit the ground, you're just swinging randomly. You don't really know what the hell is happening. It's all chaos. And then, you know, you either win or you lose. Right. And yeah. it's either, you know, glory or complete embarrassment. Um, but there wasn't any strategy. He just yeah. kind of was anger and, and rage and you just start trying to hurt the other person. Yeah. And what he did was he educated and what, the process that I started to feel was like, oh, I feel like I can be more calm if I do get intimidated because I, I know a strategy. I've got experience in these positions. It's not guesswork anymore. I know what it feels like when someone's trying to punch me. I know what it feels like when someone's trying to you know, rip my head off or whatever it is. And and I have techniques that, that help with that. And there were a few instances while living in Columbus that I actually got to put that to use in real situations. Now I've never, it was always, every time I've been in a fight, it's never been me, you know, never been me instigating it. It's been me like trying to help somebody who's getting beat up. Right. Either somebody was attacking a friend of mine or somebody was beating up you know, two kids, um, a group of people. So I always jumped in on situations like that. And that's the only time that I ever found myself in, in, in real life combat versus, you know, sparring combat or something like that in, in the gym. Um, so I, it, it crossed over and made a really big imprint on me. Wow. Um, so after, after a few years there um, with the, the Columbus Gracie guys, uh, I moved. So I'd, I'd done George Grigel. I'd done the Helsing Gracie Academy. Um, my brother, <laughs> Justin, who'd moved back with me at the time was in Utah in St. George and him and his friend, Jim Kelly opened their own gym out there. And Jim Kelly was, uh, a brown belt under Pedro Sauer at the time. And Justin had just recently got married. Um, but his wife was from Canada and they were struggling financially. And I was at kind of wit's end with my, my, I wasn't able, cause like I said, I was over my head with a lot of what was going on back home. My mom was now in rehab. So she was in a, a inpatient rehab program for several months. My brother Garrett, who I was taking care of had now moved to Florida and was living with some friends down in Florida. Um, and so my brother, Justin asked me to come live with him and help him out. So again, I dropped everything that I was doing there, moved out to St. George, Utah, got a job with my brother out there. And we basically just did jujitsu and um, worked wow. uh, at this, yeah, at this uh, hotel, just doing maintenance stuff around. And again, Pedro Sauer jujitsu, very gracie jujitsu, um, lots of self-defense stuff. Jim, who was also a military guy who'd spent many, many uh, years being deployed out in Iraq and had a lot of experience in, in real life or death uh combat so the the real street defense and real fighting defense was a huge importance for him a big emphasis in in all the training uh, because within you know two months of of him being there he would often go and have to go you know gunfight mm. <laughs> over in iraq right so it's pretty intense right and and he had many many encounters where he was it was you know his life or the other guy's life uh, and that's 
I think sinks in what you're trying to learn and gives your training a sense of purpose beyond uh, other stuff. But he was, he was a competitor too. He did compete a lot. Um, uh, he had, I can't remember the competitions back then, but I remember one of the competitions he won and he went against Matt Hughes. Wow. Um, yeah. So he, he was back then when Matt Hughes was doing like, I think, yeah, I think it was a grappling quest. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember those, but they were a really long time ago. They were kind of one of the big name competitions a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He was, yeah. so he, he did all right in those two. Um, but it was, again, his focus was the self-defense stuff. Now, after about a year in Utah, he moved his gym back to Cincinnati because his dad was not well. So we kind of had this commonality where we we're trying to help people that weren't in their condition yeah yeah and everybody else yeah yeah it kind of kept going on so we packed up and drove from utah all the way back to cincinnati and and i had to wait a little while till he opened up they opened up their gym which he did with my brother in partnership with my brother justin um and that took that took probably about six months in the time that that was happening i was still training i went back to george grigel's and was training at george grigel's so back in cincinnati my mom was back home I was back there trying to help her out, get her back on her feet a little bit um, and, and getting ready for Justin to open his school with Jim. And so they opened their school from the ground floor. I was there from the ground floor. I laid the mats with them, set up the whole gym, was there from the very beginning, um, trying to get people you know, to sign up. So it was like that first experience of what it's like to open a gym. But being the most senior guy on the mat, there was always a lot of... Uh, pressure I was always I started kind of teaching in a way back then I started because people would ask me a lot of questions because I'd be doing so well and I did a lot of competing at that time because I was trying to represent the school sorry what belt were you at that stage I was blue belt still at that stage right probably like a three stripe two or three stripe blue belt at that stage so I started really taking competition quite seriously and just going into every competition that was around some of the tri-state competitions, the OGC competitions that were going on at the time. Um, and just trying to get that a lot of experience and show that the Academy was doing well. Um, and my brother as well, Justin was competing a lot with me. So we would go out and compete all the time. Cool. So I gathered a lot of a competition experience at that time, which was great. Um, got used to my routine, that comp routine that you need to get the warm up, the routine that you need to get your head space right before you jump uh, on the mat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that was cool. Uh, My brother ended up getting to a point. So after I got my purple belt, which was through all the competition stuff as well, and we had a much more elaborate grading process for purple belt. It was like a two or three hour grading, very like doing all these different techniques, demonstrating all these techniques. Plus you had to have competition experience, et cetera, et cetera. And he got his brown belt the same time I got my purple belt, my brother, Justin. And uh, at that point, we kind of established a bit of a, uh, a name in Cincinnati. So Justin's competition experience after that was like high pressure, uh, super fights. Every single competition that he was going in after that were these really high pressure super fights. Cool. Um, and it was great. It was good exposure. It, it, he is the hardest m- motherfucker to submit. <laughs> he still to this day frustrates the hell out of me as his younger brother to try and submit that guy is impossible. <laughs> I'll roll with him for 20 minutes straight and I cannot get anything on him. It's so annoying. <laughs> so he would win some, but some the guys would just burn out trying to figure out how to submit the guy's defense was just impenetrable. It was really, really cool. And I learned a lot from him because of that. And I think a lot of his guys have learned a lot of him from that as well, which comes from that, 
Gracie Jiu Jitsu mentality as well. Mm. Um, so again, we were going to compete at the Pan Packs, no, the, the Pan Ams in, in California. So we were training really hard. We got all prepped for, we went out to California, trained for the Pan Ams. And this is kind of how I ended up in Australia too, is what happened here. And I got a phone call from uh, Australia, which is where my dad was living and a couple of my brothers that my dad had had a heart attack wow. um, and had to get, you know, helicopter from the house to the hospital. It was a quite significant heart attack. So, you know, again, I'm in a situation, he's got a wife, kids, uh, and, and, I'm kind of just doing my own thing, being selfish out here, just working on my competition thing. Do I just keep working on my competition career or do I go help my dad? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously I, I, in the mindset that I've always been in, I went to go try and help him out and I ended up back in Australia. And then again, that's a, that's kind of, um, that's how I ended up back at dominance is once I was there helping my dad out, kind of getting them back on their feet, Dave offered me the job with the kids. And then I ended up training at dominance. I was there the entire time. Um, I would fly back from, you know, training at Dominance. I would go back to the States for weeks at a time and train at Gracie Cincinnati. Um, and I got my brown belt from Jim Kelly back in Gracie Cincinnati. And then I got my black belt from Dave Hart um, at Dominance. And that's kind of where it all kicked off from there. Wow. Well, what I, would, I mean, first of all, oh, my God. Like, we've never had anybody explain a journey in that amount of yeah, well, I'm just waiting that. for the tragedy to stop. It's like, oh, then this there's happened, a lot that of, happened. There's a lot of ups and downs in that <laughs> journey. Oh, my God. I love you so much. Seriously. <laughs> I'm like, I'm and a lot of who's who. A lot of big names in there, too, that you've uh, you've been involved with. So, yeah, you, you're real OG. That's for sure. Wow. What I'm thinking here is, like, there's no one more equipped to have their own club than you, right? And I mean that from a couple of different kind of perspectives. First of all, you've been through so many ups and downs, and jiu-jitsu has played such a major role in, I guess, your uh, mental health. Um, the second part is you've competed, and you've competed hard in order to show that the club that you're at can com commit. You've chosen to live in Australia twice, you know. Yeah. Um, you've, so you, you've relocated your whole life and still managed to make amazing things happen and being of service to people in that time. So I guess my question out of all of that is, what does that make the culture of Academy like, you know, with someone at the helm who's like that? You know, it's not, I mean, obviously it's a business to you, but it's more than a business to you. So what's the, how does that play out in the culture of the club? Uh, so someone, I've got a lot, we've had a lot of new students come in lately, um, which is great. People are super inspired after lockdown. They wanted to kind of, you know, I've been listening to Joe Rogan and Sam Harris or whatever, and decided that jujitsu was the lifestyle that they needed, which is great. But it, somebody it, came in. Like it used to be the UFC. Now it's the Joe Rogan podcast. It is. It is. That's why it gets everybody in now. And it was never back down for teenagers when I was teaching kids classes. Um, but someone came in once and called me professor. And I was, I was like, I, I, I was, so this kind of sums up what, what I guess the culture is like with the humility and stuff. I was like, don't, you don't need to call me professor. You can just call me DC. Um, that's fine. Or Dave, um, that's fine. But I think that uh, I, I'm, the reason why we called it Academy as well is I've always been of the mindset that there's a group conversation at all times. Like the original Academy, the Academy that like Plato started a long time ago was an area where everybody got together and they all talked about their ideas and they all kind of worked out what what worked and what didn't work and they were observing people's you know personalities and what was effective and what was ineffective and what we wanted to strive towards and didn't want to strive towards 
And Academy for that, that's why I use that name for the gym, because for me, it's not just me. It's not what I want. I have to take and read what everybody in the room is looking for. If we're wanting to become more competitive, then we can work towards more competitive. If we want to become more self-defense oriented, then we can work towards that too. But it's more about the community overall, not just me directing the entire thing, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what the culture is like at Academy, where I, I, again, at the end of the day, I have to make the decisions, but I'm taking counsel from all of my students. I'm listening and I'm observing. And if I think somebody has a good idea, then I will adhere to that. It's not just my line. I'm always constantly trying to break down things and trying to understand what's gonna work best for, for the kids, for the other adult students, for the overall academy, and trying to guide that based on, on the community, you know? So I think that kind of sums up, I guess, what the, what the culture is like there. Beautiful, beautiful. Wow, wow. That's amazing. That was that was off one question. You could tell that uh, I think you're the the host of your dominance podcast. Is that right, DC? <laughs> you could tell you're very. Uh, no, very no, good. no, DC. No, isn't you've never been on that Eat Sleep Train podcast. You should be on that podcast, man. You're uh, like uh, the, yeah, yeah. Dave said he was gonna hit me up at some point, but it's been crazy with everybody coming back in and lockdown and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm, yeah. No, you definitely, man. That was like very, very good. We we only had room for like three questions in this whole podcast pretty much we're nearly, we're nearly out of time i tried to sum it up too i'm sorry no, i kind of went no. on and on there's there's so much crazy stuff that happened that i and there's other gyms that i trained out along the way like puma and queensland and stuff that I had a really good time ah, with, like, i used to train there that's what that was my first club oh really oh, with that vince? First club. that's how i got into yeah. Yeah, Vince Perry, he's great, man. I, I I had a choice between that school and and Axis, and I went to Puma and both. And I, something about Puma was just I felt really at home with those guys. Amazing. And his wife would do yoga upstairs, and they had a big MMA kit. It was great. What I love that gym. It was awesome. A cool spot too. And Tweet Heads was it? Is that where uh, yeah, it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Queensland. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, awesome. No, you've uh, you've covered heaps, but then, like I said, we've only had the chance to ask you like three questions or so. So I feel like we almost could have you back on again for another <laughs> another episode. I'd be honored that's, if that ever. Yeah, no, that's that's it. been great. And is your brother still training? Yeah, he um, well, he's teaching at a, at a six hour academy, so he teaches people how to how to shoot shoot rifles, shoot guns um, to, mm -hmm. to military and civilians um, out in New Hampshire um yeah so he still trains a little bit not as much as he used to he's getting a little bit old and he's, he's kind of focusing on the gun fighting stuff at the moment um but that's his main profession now but yeah he's a 32 black belt hour academy. So. what's that you call it a six-hour academy? Is that what you call it? Sig, Sig, Sig is like a type of uh, gun manufacturer. So Sig Sauer is the uh, gun manufacturer, and it's, it's an academy for them. Yeah. Oh, you just gave me yeah. an idea for a six-hour academy, like somewhere you can learn something in six hours. That's it. You're done. Black belt. Six hours. People would spend money on it. Come on, man. You're still looking for the hack? You're yeah, a purple belt, man. Come on. It's a journey. It's all about the journey. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, that's all. I think this so it's your turn, Anton, for a question. Oh, yeah. We've maybe got time for one more. Yeah. Uh, well. Okay. So, um, well, for you, what's next? I guess. Are you? Are you? Are you sticking around in Australia? Are you here forever? Yeah. Are you open up more academies. Are you going to expand your current academy? Are you going to jump jujitsu and play basketball? What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just do a basketball career instead. No, I'm I'm committed 100% to jujitsu at the moment. 
my um i have a family here now i've got two kids nolan and nora that uh are spend i spend i love to death and they love being here and this is a great place to raise children uh, where we are um and they they have a huge family at academy now too all the kids that they get to play with all the the second uncles and aunts of everybody that's at academy too that they get to play with and hang out with I, I don't like the idea of a massive gym. I really like the intimacy of having kind of the size of gym that I want. I don't want it to get too big. I like knowing everybody. I don't want people to slip through the cracks. Um, so I kind of want to stay where we're at. I might get a slightly bigger gym at some point, but I'm really happy with, with the growth that we've had and where we're at. And I just kind of want to keep working on that and just kind of keep getting everybody at the, the bottom level leveling up so that everybody gets better in the gym, you know? Um, we've, we've got a massive grading coming up at the end of the year where we've got like six blue belts, like four or five purple belts coming up. So it's like, I'm really excited to have that next level coming through the gym. Um, and, and will these be purple belts who have you've graded from what? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Which is really cool. I've had, I've only had one so far that I've graded all the way from white belt. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a couple, there's another guy, there's a guy, Kieran Spatiri, who's with me, who I trained with when he was a white belt, and I was kind of an instructor at that time, and now he's a purple belt, but he had trained with other instructors and stuff, but yeah, just one, and then now I've got a handful of, of yeah, Academy purple belts wow, coming. awesome, really cool. yeah. awesome, yeah, that's fantastic, yeah. So I would we, like uh, to say that at some point, we should get together with my uh, business partner, Dylan, too, uh, he's got awesome story he's fantastic and without him and my other partner anthony like academy would not still be standing like that's that's really yeah. Time, get you all on. yeah yeah, definitely yeah so thank you so much for taking your time out we as i said had a couple of uh, reschedules but we managed to get here in the end so we will be posting this up on facebook spotify and anchor if you, we'd love if you could share it uh, spread the love and thank you so much for your time and hopefully we'll see you soon see you on the mat yeah, thank you guys thank you again so much i'll see yeah, you later bye, bye.